Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning, we're beginning a new series called The Power of Praise. And before I start the message, I want to just outline a couple of the reasons why we're feeling led into uh, this new series. And I think the first thing was that during the, uh, the at-long-last series that we just finished, there was a sense that there was a building expectation towards an at-long-last for us as NC4, which was a gathering again together as a, a body, you know, a wider body. And there's, there's mixed feelings about that. For some people, that is something to rejoice about. For some people, that's something to cringe about. For some people, that's something to feel eh about. And uh, one of the things we touched on in that series was that in order for us to gather again, we believe we need to learn how to praise again. Because we gather around the things that we praise and appreciate. And so I really believe that, and I I think we saw a little bit of this this morning, that there's going to be a release of the joyful, thankful praise that God deserves again. And that that's going to prepare our hearts. It's going to prepare our appetites to gather. We're going to want to gather. We're going we're to feel that, oh, I just have to be there with my brothers and sisters to, to enjoy God's presence. And so that's the first reason. But secondly, we believe the Lord's telling us right now that it's a time to intentionally turn our hearts to praise Despite, in spite of whatever circumstances may be in our lives, despite of how we may feel, to praise him as an act of spiritual warfare. And um, this was out of an interesting thing that happened a few weeks ago that Pastor Jack shared at his last Friday night chat. So some of you would have heard this, others uh, uh, wouldn't have, but a few weeks ago during the Sunday meeting, he was approached by three separate people who had not colluded with one another with a, a scripture. And it was Second Chronicles 20, 21, and 22. And this was, it was prompted three times, three separate times through the course of the service. And when you turn to it, it's, it's quite an obscure passage. This isn't one that everyone knows and everyone has on their, on their fridge magnets. And when there's 31,000 verses in the Bible and three people come up to you with an obscure one, you know, it, it's like God's speaking. So here's what it says. It says, And they, that's the army of Judah, they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And Tekoa means the place of blowing wind. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And it says, When they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed men who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and they said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And so you may have noticed in the artwork for the series that it's a a hoodie being zipped up um, with the word praise. And, you know, it's this picture of a garment of praise. And so we really feel like the Lord's urging us that this is something that we need to do as an act of spiritual warfare. And so we're actually probably going to organize something where we go out 
and prophetically do this. But the main point is that this, this is not just about kind of a spontaneous feeling of praise. This is an intentional, deliberate act of praise. And it particularly involves the men. And, you know, Pastor Jack was, was praying, like, well, why the men, Lord? And he said, because the men are the least likely to want to do this. <laughs> and, um, you know, somebody once said, if you have the, you say you have the joy of the Lord, well, someone should inform your face, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that only happens in other churches, of course. But, uh, and why do you say that, Ian? What do you even mean by praise? Well, you know, luckily we have a, a Grubby's handy-dandy definition for this. Praise is emotionally engaging with God with a persistent proclamation of his goodness. Emotionally engaging God with a persistent proclamation of his goodness. So this is this, is this kind of like gushing, emotional giving of thanks. You know, this is, this is it's celebratory. There's dancing. You know, the... the <laughs> The British would say something like, there's, there's jiggling of the wobbly bits. <laughs> and, you know, this is the kind of thing that David did that embarrassed his wife, right? Don't you love embarrassing your wife sometimes, or your kids? Um, and, and, you know, hasn't this past year just made you want to erupt with Thanksgiving? Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> Few people, and God bless you. But this has been a hard year. It's really been a hard year. You know, it made me think Thanksgiving Day, massive holiday here. It's not celebrated all around the world, but it's a great holiday. In Spanish, Thanksgiving Day is Dia de la Acción de Gracias, Day of the Action of Giving Thanks. You know, how formal does that sound, right? I always kind of thought as a kid, like, oh man, that didn't sound like something I want to celebrate. But sometimes giving thanks is like that. It is an act. It's something you simply must do. And your feelings catch up. <laughs> and so I really feel like that's the kind of moment that we're in, that sometimes praise has to begin with a mere action. And it might feel formal to begin with, but I really believe our hearts, our joy will catch up with that action and begin to overflow. And so... I'm believing that the result of that is the kind of joy, and we're saying there's, jo there's joy in the house of the Lord. And I believe it's that joy that's going to draw us together, and it's going to start to overcome strongholds that won't fall in any other way. They can only fall by this warfare of praise. And so let's, let's start our, our series this morning, The Power of Praise, and the the message title for today is An Invitation to Joy. An Invitation to Joy. And we're going to read in Psalm 95. You know, where else could we begin on uh, talking about joy but in the Psalms? And what we're going to see as we go through the Psalm are three things. The invitation to joy, the obstacle to joy, and the discipline of joy. So turn with me to Psalm 95, which says... Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. 
For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The invitation to joy. So Psalm 95, it's a famous psalm in the history of the church. It's, it's uh, guided the church's understanding of, of what worship is. It's traditionally called the venite because it begins with this, oh, come. It's this invitation. And so the first point here is that praise is the invitational overflow of enjoyment. Praise is the invitational overflow of enjoyment because whenever you found something that you truly enjoy, that you just love, isn't it the most natural thing in the world to just want to tell somebody about it? You want to share that joy. Whether it's, you know, a new restaurant that you've discovered or a new movie or a new uh, artist that you've just fallen in love with or, uh, you know, a book or a destination or a lover, you just want everybody to know about it. Now, remember, it, it, it made me think when Selena and I were first dating and we weren't even, you know, I counted as dating. She doesn't count it as dating. So we weren't, you know, we were like halfway in between. Uh, and uh, I was in South Africa for six months, and I carried a photo of her in my wallet. This is before, like, you know, you just carried all your photos on your phone. Uh, a physical, actual photo. And um, I carried it in my wallet, and I would show people at any chance I got, you know, like, you know, isn't she hot? You know? And... Uh, <laughs> And that's just, that's what you do. Uh, you know, you become an evangelist as soon as you really enjoy something, right? It just flows out of you. And um, C.S. Lewis said that the world rings with praise. The world rings with praise. And this is what he said, that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. What he means is that when you enjoy something, you don't feel like you can fully enjoy it until you've expressed that enjoyment, until you've shared that enjoyment. There's nothing more frustrating than finding that thing that you just absolutely love and you have nobody to share it with, right? You hear this great joke and there's no one to tell it to, <laughs> right? And so this is why the people of God come together to worship. Because when we experience the joy of knowing Jesus, that joy is incomplete until it's shared. Until it's, it, it, it comes into us, it transforms us, and it goes out again. And so, who better to share 
what you love with than another person who loves the same thing, right? I remember as a kid, you know, I, I loved lots of different styles of music, but I, I definitely loved hip-hop music. And sometimes I would play songs in the car with my parents, you know, and they would suffer through it, you know. But I, I just, you know, there was some, I just had to play it. I had to share it with somebody, you know. But that experience with them is totally different than when I, I at one point I met a friend, you know, I was talking to some other people, and I mentioned that I liked hip-hop, and this guy, like, jumped into this conversation, and he said, excuse me, did you just say you like hip-hop? And, like, we sparked this friendship where we enjoyed this thing together and made music together, and it was, like, a beautiful thing when you have someone who doesn't just, like, grit their teeth and get through it, but who actually loves the thing that you love, right? And that's why we come together to worship, because we love the same one. And so we're basically here to geek out together, right? We're basically here to geek out on Jesus together. <laughs> and if you, if you don't know yet that Jesus is something to geek out about, you're missing out. Let me tell you, that's something to get FOMO about, guys. Fear of missing out. <laughs> really? <sighs> I mean, that's how Jesus talked about himself. Whenever Jesus talks about someone entering the kingdom, he talks about it as joy, right? He says, a man found a, a, a treasure buried in a field, and it says, out of the joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy that field and have that treasure, right? Not out of obligation, not out of, well, this is a good investment, but out of joy, right? And so, look, if there's not joy in our hearts towards Jesus, there's, there's something that we need to pursue. There's something, again, that needs to be reawakened in us. If we have once felt that joy and you don't feel it anymore, then, then it's time to ask God for that joy again. And if you've never felt it, let me tell you, it's something you want. It's something you desire in the deepest part of your heart, even if you haven't realized it. And so I'm getting ahead of myself here, but... <laughs> so at the start of this psalm, we have this invitation. Come. Oh, come. It's like Philip's invitation to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see this Jesus. And, and what I love here is that it's an invitation to come sing about it. Come and let us sing these joyful noises to God, our King. And um, it, it's cool to me that as far back as we know, music and singing has been part of how the people of God have expressed themselves towards God, uh, expressed our enjoyment of God. So you, you look at Scripture, it's all the way through Scripture. Moses and Miriam sing you know, after the, 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 the exodus and they're set free from Egypt. Uh, David plays the, the instruments and, and sings and dances before the Lord. Jesus, this is my favorite, Jesus, it says, sang a hymn with his disciples before going off to Gethsemane. And so the church has always been a singing people. And all around the world today, one of the most beautiful experiences I've had is, is getting the opportunity to travel, going to places. You know, we, we went to India with Pastor Jack a few years ago, and we were there worshiping with 
uh, Indian, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ in Hindi, and I had no idea what the words were saying, but we're singing together. And there was just this immediate sense of, we love the same thing here. Culturally, we couldn't be any more different than each other, and yet we come together and we sing because we can't help but praise this Jesus. And so, on the other hand, one of the saddest things I've ever heard, we had an Iranian friend in Prague who told us in the expression of Islam that he grew up in, music, and especially musical instruments, were, were forbidden. They were banned. And I'll never forget the joy on his face when the church bought him his first guitar. And he, you know, and we bought him guitar lessons, and he began to learn to play and sing songs to the Lord. And, you know, I mean, that look of joy on his face, I will never forget it. Um, but this is, it's a precious gift that we have that often you can really take for granted. I know that I can. And the other thing is, you know, I'm talking about being an evangelist, overflowing with joy, you know, and so you, you immediately think of inviting people to church, right? Now, if you think about it, if you take a step out of Christian bubble, it's a little bit of a weird thing for a bunch of people to get together early in the morning, somewhat early in the morning, and have a big sing-along with no alcohol whatsoever, <laughs> right? It's a little bit, you know, that's not something people tend to do in our culture. <laughs> it's a tough ask to bring someone into that setting. But on the other hand, it can be a powerful thing. It's like, why, what are you guys so happy about? So why do we do this? It actually goes a little bit deeper than all this because um, this isn't only something that the people of God have always done. This is something that actually God requires. What's going on with that? Why does God require praise? And he even has these commands about singing um, a new song and all these things. You know, again, this, is, this can come across as quite a weird thing. You know, is God really that needy? You know? What could be worse than someone who constantly needs affirmation, constantly needs praise, right? Doesn't the command kind of kill the joy, right? I don't did your mom ever tell you, okay, everybody, we're going to shut up and have a good time. <laughs> You're going to have fun, <laughs> right? I mean, when it's forced, it kills the joy, right? And so, you know, this is a little bit strange, you might think. Well, uh, this is something that... Uh, St. Augustine, the, the African theologian he touched on in the fourth century, this is what he said. He said, um, well, this isn't a direct quote. I'm summarizing. He said, when we praise earthly things, there's always a certain amount of insecurity about it. Because I don't know if anyone has really hyped up a movie to you before or something like, and they've overhyped it, you know? Oh, you've got to see this. It's the most amazing thing you're ever going to see. And you go and watch it, and you're like, this, you know? And, and no matter what it is in terms of earthly things, you know, there's always a slight insecurity that you could overhype it, all right? But, I mean, just think Yako's hot dogs, all right? <laughs> overhyped, amen? Um, now, <laughs> someone's going to leave the church over that. Now, 
But here's what Augustine says. He says, with God, our praise is always completely secure. Because God, by definition, is the greatest thing that there is. And so you can never actually overhype God. You can never overpraise God. And this is what verse 3 says in, in, in our psalm, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. There is no superlative that goes too far. And so fast forward 1,300 years, uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest American theologians, he wrote a little book uh, that thankfully I read a modernized, updated version of because he's uh, very dense. Uh, he wrote a book called The End for Which God Created the World. The End for Which God Created the World. And what he lays out is that Scripture is very clear that the reason God created anything was to glorify himself. The reason God created was to bring glory to himself. And so immediately you think, well, hold on, Jonathan. Didn't he create us out of love? You know, didn't he create us because he loved us? What he answers is, yes, it's both. <laughs> it's both. They're actually one and the same thing. And so here's the next point, that God demands our praise because God desires our joy. He demands our praise because God desires our joy. And, and here's the thing. You know, for you or me to demand praise, praise me, you know, worship me. That is obnoxious, obviously. Uh, and it's more than that. We call it narcissism, right? So Narcissus was uh, the, the, the Greek myth of a man so beautiful that he fell in love with his own reflection, right? It's not autobiographical. Uh, uh, he sees his own reflection, and been, but there's a punishment built into that because uh, because it's only a reflection, he can't actually have the fulfillment of his love. And so it ends in tragedy for him. And so I think that's actually a perfect description of the human condition. Because for me, for you to be self-centered is, I mean, everyone hates that, right? It's, it's the most annoying thing to have a super self-centered narcissistic person. And yet, so that's a sin in us why? Because if I make myself the center of the universe, or if someone else, God forbid, makes me the center of the universe, then I am inevitably going to fall short. I'm inevitably going to disappoint that person because I simply cannot fulfill that desire. And so it's morally wrong for me to put myself in that place. But for God... To be anything but self-centered would be morally wrong. It would be morally wrong for God to be anything but self-centered. Why? Because love desires the best for its beloved, right? So for God to truly love us, he cannot direct us to anything but himself. It would be morally wrong for him to point at other things and say, oh, no, 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 don't praise me, you know. Give it to, you know, my works, or isn't, you know, isn't the, the temple beautiful? It's, no, if he points to anything but himself, it is less than true love because God is the greatest thing. 
And so he must point us to himself. Anything less would be pointing us towards something that cannot ultimately fulfill us. He is the source of all joy, and so he commands us to praise him because he desires us to have joy. He desires us to be filled with joy, and so he points us to the source of all joy, which is himself. And so that brings us to the second point, which is the obstacle of joy. Because the obvious question is, well, if God is so great, Ian, why doesn't everybody praise him? Why doesn't everyone praise him as they should? And I think this has to do with the next invitation in the psalm. There's kind of like three parts in this psalm. And the next invitation that we see is, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You know, we often say praise and worship. And they, they kind of, uh, we're, we're going to get into the, what are the differences between those things, you know, it's nuances um, in, in another message, but um, they go hand in hand. And this is really, uh, it's a deeper invitation than the first one, but it fits together. So the first invitation is come into God's presence. Celebrate him. Celebrate what he's done, who he is. But what happens when we enter into the presence of the one that we praise? What happens as we actually do enter into the presence of the one that we sing about? Well, what happens whenever you enter the presence of true greatness, what happens? You begin to feel this big and you instinctively want to make yourself small. What this made me think of is when I was a kid, I was still am, but I'm really into basketball, and I was like, I, I, I had a massive growth spurt well ahead of anyone else in school. I was the star basketball player. Played every chance I could get, and my favorite player at the time, because Jordan had already retired, was Allen Iverson, right? I was a big fan of Allen Iverson, and you know, everybody at that time was copying his style of play, including me. And so, Years later, I finally got to see him play. I finally went to an NBA game. So now I, I find myself in the presence of the one that I had praised and emulated, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, not to him, because we're about the same height, but you know, to all the other players, I'm like, whoa, these guys are really tall. And then I watch Allen Iverson play, and actually he broke a record in that game for steals, I think. And all of a sudden, my own greatness... <laughs> My own speed or talent or, you know, gifting in my beloved sport looked about this pathetic, you know. That's the natural feeling that you get whenever you step into the presence of true greatness. And so we feel instinctively to, to make ourselves small, to, to bow down. And actually the, the Hebrew word to worship means to bow down. It's, it's interesting in that verse, it basically reiterates it three times. Let us bow down, uh, let us worship, let us kneel. And this is an invitation beyond just enjoyment, beyond appreciation and praise. This is an invitation to worship, to center your life and existence around the Lord, who is the one that we're made to center our life and existence around. And so you come back to the question, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Why doesn't everyone desire God? If we're created for this, why don't we desire God like this? And it's because we've centered our lives around other things. 
And what you consume, what you center your life on, shapes your desires. It shapes your taste. It shapes what you actually have a, a desire, a taste for. And that's it, this is the same mechanism that makes addictions so destructive. And every human being is addicted to sin until they're set free by Jesus. But this is what makes addictions so destructive. You know, pick your addiction, whether it's drugs or, or porn. Let's take porn. For instance, porn offers the promise of pleasure, of intimacy, of power. But of course, it's not the real thing. And so all it does is it leaves you wanting more, and you have this downward spiral where it's called the law of diminishing returns. And so it leaves you wanting more and more, you get more and more extreme, and all the while, you're ruining your tastes, you're ruining your desires, you begin desiring things that are not real, and so what happens is, even the real thing begins to lose the power to actually satisfy you. Because what you've centered yourself around has shaped what you desire. And so it's incredibly destructive. And it actually destroys the gift that it was designed to counterfeit. And so Romans 1 describes this downward spiral of humanity. Verse 25, Romans 1, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And then verse 32 says, They not only do these things, but praise those who do them. And so this is the point, that disordered worship leads to disordered praise. When your worship's out of whack, what you find beautiful, what you find praiseworthy, gets thrown out of whack too. Now, when we were reading this psalm, I don't know if you noticed, it, takes to, it seems to take this abrupt turn. You know, come let us praise, come let us worship. And then it says, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. And it takes this turn out of invitation into warning. That sounds, you know, it's a little bit strange when you're reading it. Why does it, it seems like, uh, you know, like it doesn't fit. What it's saying is, there is peril to our souls if we do not praise God. There's peril to our souls if we do not praise God. If our hearts are hard and we find that we do not desire God, if we find ourselves cold to the greatest, most joyful being in all the universe, which is who God is by definition, then that's a warning sign. It's a warning sign. It's, it's, it's as much a warning sign as, you know, when someone is, is desperately ill and they have no taste for food, they lose their appetite, that is a bad sign, right? And so it's a warning sign if we do not feel anything towards God. And you say, well, Ian, it's not all about emotions, right? And that's true. You know, but just like a marriage, so marriage is not all about emotions. You know, you're not only married when you feel married or when you feel especially happy about being married. <laughs> emotions are not sufficient to sustain the marriage, but they are necessary. 
They're not sufficient, but they are necessary because if you never feel anything towards your spouse, then something is wrong. Something needs to be dealt with. And so this is what the Lord says about those who harden their hearts toward him. Uh, Refusing to praise him, refusing to worship, this is what he says, they will never enter my rest. They will never enter my rest. And so this this is the next point, that praiselessness begets restlessness. Praiselessness begets restlessness. So if you, if you find yourself feeling restless, maybe there's a reactivation of praise that needs to happen. You know, in C.S. Lewis's great divorce, he depicts hell as a place where people are constantly grumbling in a very British way. <laughs> Nothing is ever good enough. The tea is never the right temperature. You know, nothing is ever praiseworthy to them. And everything is gray and colorless and dreary. And so what happens is he says, well, it started off as this very small place, and it, it begins expanding because people keep moving away from each other. And so this, this uh, isolation that keeps on expanding. And so St. Augustine said this in his Confessions, These are famous words. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. And what I want to tell you is, until you see that nothing else will satisfy you, until you see that everything you desire when you sin can only actually be satisfied in Jesus, you're going to feel restless. You're going to feel unanchored and restlessly wandering around through life because you're looking for something in all the wrong places. And that's hard for someone, you know, like, is Jesus really that good? Well, you got to give it a try. You got to try him out. (laughs) You have to answer that invitation. Oh, come and meet this one who told me everything about myself, is what Philip said to Nathaniel. And so that is the place of rest. And until until you see that that is the place of rest, you're going to consign yourself to a life where everything loses its flavor where everything loses its beauty, where nothing is ultimately praiseworthy or or able to be enjoyed. That's what happens when you throw your desires on things that cannot satisfy the actual desires. And so it leads us to the last point here as we finish briefly, the the discipline of joy. Because I believe the response for us today is to not harden our hearts, like like the scripture says. Do not harden your hearts. Praise him. Praise him. And so you might say, well, I don't feel like it. I feel depressed. I feel anxious. You know, this happened, that happened. And and God knows that. He's the comforter. He's the healer. He's there with us. And yet, that is a time to praise him all the more. That's the time when we must praise him. And so here's the last point, that praise is something to be continually cultivated continually cultivated. David preached to himself, bless my, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. So a writer of scripture had to 
cultivate praise for the Lord. Cultivate thankfulness. A lot of, you know, modern day gurus talk about thankfulness as a practice. Cultivate it. Practice something that you can be grateful for every day. You know, that's ancient wisdom that comes right out of scripture. It's nothing new. It's something you need to work at. It's not just a spontaneous feeling. Those times come, but when they're not there, we still need to work at it. So cultivate praise for the one who is truly praiseworthy. Reflect on his goodness. Think back on your life and meditate on his love. Share your testimony. That's why I was encouraging this morning words of prophecy, but also words of of testimony, of thanksgiving. And so this is what I mean by the discipline of joy. Because now that we are set free from addiction to sin, we have to reshape our desires towards their true object. Now that we're set free from our addiction to sin, to lesser things, now it's the discipline of training our hearts and desires towards the object, their true object that will truly satisfy us. And so praise is one of those active spiritual disciplines that we practice. And the reason you have a discipline is so that you can Something with, within your direct control, something within your direct effort that you can do as a practice to enable you to do something that you cannot do by direct effort. You can't simply make yourself desire God. You can't force yourself to, to like something. You know, that just happens to you, but you can discipline yourself so that your habits, your, your tastes, your desires are shaped And so what I want to encourage us to is we're, we're going we're to head back into a, a song of praise together as we close. And what I want to encourage you to is to think through what are the habits of praise that I can build into my life? Maybe it's journaling about thankfulness. Maybe it's, you know, putting, rather than that audio book this week, um, play some songs that just fill you with joy in the Lord. Um, maybe it's, you know, going to the worship night or coming on a Sunday morning and, and worshiping with, um, you know, your church family. Um, and these are habits that will build our desire for him, that will begin to release joy so that we can rest in the truth of his love and goodness. This is how we enter his rest. Amen. And so, there, there may be someone here or maybe someone uh, listening online or, or later on from a recording that you're hearing those words of invitation as if Jesus is talking right to you. Oh, come. Come experience this abundant, restful life. Jesus says, come to me, those who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. I've come to give you joy that your joy may be complete. And that's good news, guys. (laughs) And so if you're hearing that invitation today, don't, don't let your heart harden up and close. Give Jesus a chance. Open that door and he will enter in and share a meal with you, he says. Jesus will come in and hang out with you and you begin to see what all this fuss is about. So if that's you, you can enter into that by an invitation, um, praying these words to God, just conversationally to God. You can say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry 
that I have centered my life on all these other things. I desire this life that you're talking about. Jesus, thank you that you died for me, for my sins, so that I could be set free from every addiction. And thank you that you rose from the dead so that I could have a resurrected life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Make me your child. And I commit myself to follow you from this day forward. Amen. May it be so. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.